One Hope Church. Good morning. We're glad to see each one. And uh, I know a lot of folks are away for one reason and another, but uh, we're glad to see each one of you as you're here. And uh, we continue our studies in 2 Samuel. We're in chapter 4 and chapter 5 today of 2 Samuel. And we're looking at more of the early activities of King David. So let's uh, uh, look at these things after a word of prayer. Shall we pray? Father, we're just so grateful that uh, we've been able to Uh, Sing our praises to your great and holy name. Uh, We're thankful for Jesus, your beloved son, who came to rescue us from our sin and eternal death. Praise be to you, Lord, for all your grace toward us. And uh, as we open your word, we pray that you would just speak through it by your Holy Spirit, the author of it in the final analysis. We pray that uh, you would just work in our lives as we've already prayed and and make us more like Jesus. Uh, Please bless those that are apart from us this morning, whether in Mexico, uh, preaching your word and sharing the gospel or in other places. We pray your hand of blessing might be upon all and Uh, upon the Sunday school as they meet upstairs. Thank you for your amazing grace. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, more of these early activities of David include uh, a number of things, and I'll just mention uh, what we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, Justice for the murder of Ishbosheth, the reign of David over all Israel, Uh, the conquest of Jerusalem, and the defeat of the Philistines. So let's uh, go to our first section, where Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, who was uh, a king over the tribes in the northern part, other than Judah, and uh, that, of course, extended to Benjamin, which was Saul's own tribe. Uh, Let's read uh, this material. This incident comes at about 992 years before Christ. So that's a long time ago, but there are lessons for today. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 1 of 2 Samuel. When Saul's son heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost heart and all Israel was troubled. Now Saul's son had two men who were captains of troops. The name of one was Baena, and the name of the other, Rechab. The sons of Remen, the Berothite, of the children of Benjamin. For Beroth also was part of Benjamin, because the Berothites fled to Gittim and have been sojourners there until this day. So these two individuals that we're looking at 
that did this awful deed were uh, tied in with the Gibeonites who uh, were persecuted by King Saul. And so that's sort of a connection there uh, might give us some understanding of why they were willing to do what they did. Uh, verse 4 says, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. That's the uh, news of their being slain by the Philistines on uh, Mount Gilboa. And his nurse, John, uh, the son's nurse, uh, took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Now this is uh, really kind of sad, and it's uh, a sadness connected with troubled times for uh, these people in, in authority. This happened, this uh, accident happened about 1000 BC, 1000 years before Christ. Now, Mephibosheth was also known as Meribbaal in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 8 and verse 34. And that means Baal contends. Now, Mephibosheth means exterminator of shame. Uh, that is the shame of idols and idolatry. And so there's an interesting switch there with the name. Uh, Mephibosheth is here and now introduced into this narrative uh, because later he becomes the object of David's special favor for Jonathan's sake and the oath that was between them, the covenant. So he becomes this object of the king's kindness and in so doing he becomes this uh, powerful illustration of the greater king Jesus and his kindness toward us who are lame and helpless sinners. And we are invited to the king's table, as it were, uh, all the days of our life, and then into eternity. So what a tremendous thought that uh, comes to us through this one accident uh, of this poor man, Mephibosheth. He becomes exceedingly blessed. He eats at David's table. And we eat at the king's table, Jesus, uh, not just on Sundays, but uh, all the days of our life and forever. Then the sons of Remen, the Berethite, Rechab and Beena, set out and came at about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who was lying on his bed at noon. So here was a man uh, relaxing, taking a siesta. And these people come into his house. Verse, verse 6 says, And they came there all the way into the house as though to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and Beena, his brother, escaped. Now, in Hebrew narrative, you often get an overview statement first, 
and then more details later. And so it is here, uh, we're going to get more details about this horrific scene. Verse 7 says, For when they came into the house, he was lying on his bed in his bedroom. Then they struck him and killed him, beheaded him, and took his head, and were all night escaping through the plain, that is the Araba. And they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron and said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. And the Lord has avenged my lord the king this day of Saul and his descendants. But David answered, Rechab and Baena, his brother, the sons of Remen the Berethite, and said to them, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity, when someone told me, saying, Look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him and had him executed in Ziklag, the one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. So remember that comes from the uh, first chapter of 2 Samuel and uh, that particular man paid a very heavy price for lying uh, in his uh, false confession of killing Saul. How much more, David said, when wicked men have killed a righteous person in his own house on his bed Therefore shall I not now require his blood at your hand and remove you from the earth? Wow. I imagine they were terrified at that thought, and uh, rightly so. But let's just pause for a moment and consider uh, the terms wicked and righteous as they're used here in this, uh, uh, when wicked men have killed a righteous person. Uh, the wicked here are people who take their sinfulness to an extreme. Uh, they are, you know, your uh, very, very evil people. And uh, cruelty and murder and all sorts of other iniquities are uh, the kinds of things wicked men do. But the righteous as used here, are also sinful. They're less sinful than the wicked men. They're still sinners, and they're still in definite need of God's grace, but there are variations in sin. Not all sin is equal, and there are punishments in uh, God's eternity that are based upon the works that people do. Fortunately, there is the grace of God that saves even wicked people when they believe on Jesus. Now, there's a general truth here that we can uh, look at also. The Israelites were, were God's people in a national sense. Uh, but only those who were personally trusting in God were his people in a personal and spiritual sense. And that's a big thing to understand as you read the Old Testament. Uh, you, you find many people who are a part of God's nation, Israel, uh, his 
people, so to speak, but they're not spiritually God's people at all. Then uh, we go on in verse 12 to read, So David commanded his young men, and they executed them, cut off their hands and feet, and hanged them by the pool in Hebron. So they were repaid in kind. They had killed and mutilated their helpless victim, Ishbosheth, and now they too are killed and mutilated. Then it says they took the head, but they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner in Hebron. Hebron, of course, was the seat of power for David before he went to Jerusalem. And that's where Abner had uh, met his fate in his untimely assassination. So out of the respect for the victim, Ishbosheth, uh, the successor of Saul and king of the uh, other uh, tribes, there was a fitting burial of the king with Abner, the former captain of his army. They buried his head there. Now we come to the second uh, portion, which has to do with David uh, reigning over all Israel. Verse 5, or chapter 5 rather, uh, verse 1, it says, uh, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. So all the tribes which were of Saul were represented and they were united in their intention to make David their king. They also uh, claimed these close natural ties to King David, bone and flesh. In other words, they were part of the same uh, family of peoples. And they went on to say, also in times past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Now this is uh, interesting because it's a long time in coming to this point. Uh, they knew the prophecy and the will of God much uh, 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 much earlier than this. You know, perhaps they made excuses. Uh, you know, people are prone to make excuses even today. They know what God wants, but they're not willing to do it. And, uh, but finally they come to this point. Verse 3, Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them, at Hebron before the Lord and they anointed David king over Israel. Now it says David was 30 years old when he became, began to reign and he reigned 40 years. So he lived to be about 70, didn't he? Uh, in Hebron he reigned over Judah seven years and six months and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years over Israel and Judah. So uh, he unites Israel in 
this uh, becoming king over them. So when you think of the reign of David, you think of 40 years, seven and a, uh, seven and a half from Hebron and 33 from Jerusalem. Then you have uh, the conquest of Jerusalem next. So verse 6 says, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Now, this taking of Jerusalem uh, was a very important thing in the history of Israel. Uh, before this, they had no single permanent center of their national life. But from here on, they're going to have it in Jerusalem. And it is, of course, the center of their national life today and has recently become uh, the uh, capital of Israel again. Now David said on that day, whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and de defeats the Jebusites, parenthesis, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Now that chief and captain is not mentioned here specifically. That's why it's in italics, perhaps in your Bible. But it is in 1 Chronicles 11.6. Therefore they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. In other words, this whole thing became proverbial. It was a proverb of the day referring to David's enemies as the blind and the lame, or the lame and the blind. So uh, that's, that's the significance of that. Uh, his enemies will not come into the house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. So after the capture of this fortress, Mount Zion, and it was combined with Mount Ophel, which uh, consolidated the city, and it became known in its entirety as the city of David. Now there's a point at which... Uh, Bethlehem is also called in one spot the city of David because of, his, uh, of the uh, connection, his birth and his family. But at, at this point, you know, Jerusalem is going to be called the city of David in, in many respects. And David built all around the millow and inward. Now the word millow is probably strange to us. It's the Hebrew word for the filling. And is always used with an article, the mellow. It is something that people knew when you said it, what it referred to. Now, the word itself may refer to the area between the hills, these two hills, Mount Zion and Mount Ophel, which were filled in. Or it could refer uh, to a rampart. That is, the two large walls filled in with dirt, earth and dirt as a fortification. It could be one or both of those. Uh, we do know that from First Kings that Solomon com continued to work on the millow. 
So David went and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. So it was the favor of the Lord that made David great. It was David's key to success, God's favor on him. And the promise of God's help and his presence is also our key to success. And we have that in abundance in the New Testament. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. So there was this connection uh, with Tyre and its uh, natural resources. It seems like it was a great house because it took, what, 13 years to build. Uh, so even with days off for bad weather, that's a long time. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he, that is God, had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. So the Lord exalted his kingdom. Now this, I guess, suggests a principle. Uh, the Lord had blessed David for the sake of his people, Israel, and God wants his blessings to flow like it did from David to Israel, uh, in us, to flow through us. Uh, we, we must uh, look at God's blessings uh, not like, you know, a pond where we store them all up and keep them for ourselves, but like, more like a river that is a channel of blessing to others. And uh, this is uh, probably what we uh, should gain from this. God wants us to be a channel of blessing to his people. So I guess if someone receives something unexpectedly, we might ask ourselves, you know, is this for me or is it for somebody else? So it's a good lesson. And verse 13 says, And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Also, more sons and daughters were born to David. Now, these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nephig, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliph Elit. Uh, clearly, you know, David had many wives and uh, as do other kings of the uh, nations around about. It uh, was a sign of success for kings to have uh, a large harem. This sort of, you know, this was their standard. And David, uh, he, he followed this prevailing custom. Now, remember, if you were here last week, our brother Greg spoke about these problems, the uh, problems and pain that polygamy causes. In the, it caused in the life of David, it caused in the lives of others. And uh, he showed that polygamy was not according to God's ideal creation plan. That envisions one man and one woman 
joined together by God for life. Uh, this was from Matthew chapter 19, 1 through 12. Also, Greg mentioned that David did not follow the directions of Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20, where God forbade kings of Israel from multiplying wives. That's a clear instruction there. The fact that God would still work with David is a testament to God's forgiving grace and his willingness to work with people in spite of the fallen culture in which they are a part of. Now this uh, is amazing grace. It's shown to David and because it's shown to David, we are encouraged by it today because God works with us, poor, lost, helpless sinners who the Bible calls enemies of God. And so we can take courage from uh, this wonderful grace that shown, is shown to David. And uh, I know there are many Christians who, uh, you know, they've... they've They've stubbed their toes pretty badly. And they look at David and they're encouraged because uh, there's amazing grace there and there's even more amazing grace today through Jesus. Now it is good to remind ourselves also about the progress of revelation in Scripture. God over time has revealed more and more of himself and of his ways. Clearly, God has promised and provided much more to those who believe in the church age, this age. And uh, because of this, you know, we have all these abundant blessings today through Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. Because of this, our Father wants us and expects us his redeemed people, to be more like Jesus, his son. That's, uh, that's, to be, that's logical. And so many of the things that uh, uh, we see people in, in the Bible doing, uh, we don't have to do those things, and we can have victory over them because we have far more uh, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the blessings of Christ now, another important thing to remember is that God's, or David's situation, rather, underscores the great differences between the various economies and dispensations of God. Now, what, is, what are these uh, economies or dispensations? They refer to the ways in which God is managing his work in the world. Now, in the, in the Bible, uh, we see God managing things in different ways. There's obviously a big difference before the fall. There's a big difference after the fall. There's a big difference after the flood. Uh, there's a big difference with the coming of the law. And there's a big difference with the new covenant. So, uh, a number of these dispensations are named specifically or they're clearly implied in Scripture. Uh, just, just think of the difference between 
the present age and the coming millennial kingdom. It's a fantastic difference. So in the present case, David was under the dispensation of the old covenant, the law of Moses. Believers are not under the law. Believers in the church age are in the dispensation of grace and the new covenant. And God provides so much more today through his son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again. The contrast between this law and grace is, is spelled out in one place, in many places in the New Testament, but one in John chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, where it says, of his, And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the fullness of truth came through Christ as well as the fullness of the grace of God. Then we move uh, to the fact that David was able to defeat the Philistines. And we read about the Philistines being defeated in chapter 5 or 17. Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Raphaim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal-Parazim, and David defeated them there, and he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. There he, for he called the name of that place Baal-Parazim. Now, Baal Perazine means possessor of breaches or master of breakthrough. So the idea of a sudden push through the enemy armies and their defeat is in view. It says in verse 21, And they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. These were probably their idol images that they thought would help them in their battle, but did not. And in the next verse, it says, Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephraim. So sometime later, obviously. Uh, Therefore David inquired of the Lord, and he said, You shall not go up. Circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. Now, this type of tree was probably either mulberry, you know, opinions differ, balsam, or Bacchus shrubs. Uh, but that's not the important thing. The important thing is uh, that God does not always work in the same way. But he may vary the path to victory. And this he does here. The key is to seek God's plan before proceeding and then to proceed by faith. And this David did. God goes on to uh, tell him 
more of his instructions. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. Notice that David and his men had something to do. They couldn't just say, oh, God's going to do it all, right? They had to participate in God's plan. And David did so as the Lord commanded him. And he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. So, as we come close to the end of this, we, we realize that the Lord was with David in a mighty way, in spite of his faults, in spite of his failures. And David followed the Lord's commands, and the result was great victory. And uh, when we do something similar, we follow the Lord's commands, and we follow uh, the Lord Jesus Christ through the gospel, we can have an even greater victory over sin, over evil, and the forces of evil that bring men into bondage. We save them from the tyranny of sin and death and the fear of, of uh, a future that the unsaved person just, you know, he, he can't af afford to think about it. You know, he fills the mind with everything possible not to think of eternity, whether it's uh, drink, or drugs, or, or uh, uh, sports even, something good. He will just overdo everything in order not to think about that future. Uh, through the fear of death, Satan has the whole world subject to bondage. But in the good fight of faith, which we are involved in, if we are following Jesus, the true church gets its marching orders from the Great Commission, the Great Commission of our Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew 28. And through, through that, taking uh, the teachings of Jesus uh, to all the people groups of the world, we find our reason for staying here. Along with worshiping God, we are extending the kingdom of God to the masses, to the many who yet will receive that great and glorious gift of salvation through personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what it is. Uh, it is uh, personal, individual trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as one Savior. That makes all the difference, and that puts us into the Lord's army and the great conflict against evil. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the lessons, uh, both positive and negative, that we uh, learn from your precious words. We thank you for uh, the grace that you showed to King David and uh, throughout his, his life. And uh, we thank you for the grace that comes to us through uh, the greater King, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that uh, we
can come to him and be accepted and clothed with robes of righteousness and invited to dine at his table throughout our lives and throughout eternity. And Lord, as we uh, remember the great things that Christ has done for us uh, through the taking of the bread and the drinking of the cup, uh, we give thanks, Father, that you were willing uh, to not spare your son. And we're thankful, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to come and to do, endure such awful pain and uh, the bearing of our sins and going into death for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the celebration of this communion time. In Jesus, your precious name we pray. Amen.